By now, we all understand that business has caused many of the social and environmental challenges we face, but that it's also uniquely positioned to solve for them. The question is, how? Keywords come to mind. Transparency, authenticity, accountability, not just for CEOs, but for all stakeholders in business. Now, that's easier said than done, which is why today's guest is a global leader and change agent at the forefront of business transformation. And he'll share a critical cost-benefit analysis of business as to why and how it must change if companies and the planet are to thrive. So, if you want to know how business gets it done, listen in now. From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today I'm joined by Martin Whitaker, CEO at Just Capital, a leading nonprofit working to build and strengthen stakeholder capitalism through company rankings, research, and investment vehicles. So, Martin, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. So Martin, Just Capital was founded in 2013 and you joined shortly after in 2014. For those who haven't heard of it, like tell us about its founding, its original intent and, and what inspired you to join? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. So it's a nonprofit um, and the goal is really to build a more just economy. We're basically getting big companies to do heavy lifting, more of the heavy lifting, try and race to the, race to the top, if you will, for how companies solve large-scale social, economic, environmental problems in America and around the world. We feel like the private sector, you know, is pretty good at solving big problems. It just needs the incentives. So that's what Just does. Uh, but, you know, really a movement, a movement um, that I think has been growing in lots of different ways around the country and around the world for many, many years. And... Um, you know, the thing with markets is like they, they perform best when they're supplied with information so that you, Simon, if you wanted to buy from or invest in a company that aligned with your values or that was doing something, you know, good about something you cared about, the environment, climate change or pay equity, um, unless you have the information, you don't know how to do that. And that's what Just does. Uh, we're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the folks that are, are supplying the market with that kind of information. So... Yep, you're right. We were we were established late 2013. Deepak Chopra um, and Paul Tudor Jones sort of came together. Um, you know, you can think of Paul as capital and Deepak as just, you know, and right. kind of came together around this idea. It actually started with, with Deepak in a, in a class he was teaching on just marketing, I think it was, in at Columbia in New York City. And... Um, you know, a student asked him, well, you know, couldn't business be more of a force for good, uh, you know, to do that? And he took that idea to Paul Jones, um, who obviously is a successful hedge fund manager and investor, knows about markets, and was also, you know, obviously a very successful philanthropist through Robin Hood Foundation and other groups he's been involved with, Everglades and National Fish and Wildlife. And so the two of them, plus there were seven or eight other founding board members came together to said, let's create a nonprofit that can really change the way America does business. And 
uh, that was sort of late 2013. Um, so they started out a search for the CEO in early 2014. And I have spent my entire career, you know, 25 years at that interface of money and sort of, you know, purpose. And I, I felt as soon as I became aware of the opportunity and I met Paul and Deepak and Arianna Huffington and Ronaldo Brutico and some of the other founding board members, Ray Chambers, I felt like here was a group of people that were very serious about that. You know, it was big, obviously very big, very bold ambition and undertaking. But I felt like A, it was what was needed and B, I could do the job. You know, I felt like everything I'd done up until then, which we can talk about if you want, sort of equipped me to try and to try and give it a shot. And um, so it's been, you know, roller coaster ever since. That's the best type of rides, right? And, um, you know, just in terms of the basics so that we, we all really understand, I, I want to understand more clearly what just means to you in yeah. a sense. And then also literally what does, you know, just capital do, whether it's polling or whether it's research. Help us understand, because I think, you know, the, the marketplace has woken up, especially in the last couple of years and during the pandemic, to this dialogue about the larger and important role the business has got to play. But, you know, it's great that the market forces are there, but how do you get it done? How do you make sure it's done with transparency mm -hmm. and accountability? So what does just mean? And then what are the sort of meat and potatoes of what Just Capital does, you know, to hold business accountable? Well, um, it's fairly straightforward. Think of what we do in sort of three things. First, we capture the voice of the American people on what just means. What does just business mean to people? And we do that by literally focus groups around the country, talking to people, asking them that question. What does a just business mean to you? We do polling, we do focus groups, we do quantitative surveys, we do a whole range. It's really not one poll. I, you know, we do polling, but uh, you know, it's really public opinion research in, right. in lots of different methods and forms that captures this idea of how, you know, Main Street America defines just business behavior. And I'll tell you the results of that in a moment. But the public defines what just is, not Martin Whitaker, not Paul Jones, not Deepak Chopra, not the team. Right. So that's number one, capturing the voice of the public through polling. Number two, we then measure how the largest 1000 publicly traded companies, the Russell 1000 companies, uh, how they perform on those things. So we have a whole research team that gathers the best data on how companies are actually performing on all the things that we've heard people care about. And then thirdly, we take all of that research and all that data and we do things with it that drive change. We create rankings. So every year we have the Just 100 and we stack rank those thousand companies on how they're doing on all the, the, the priorities of the public. And that engages their competitive instincts, of course. Absolutely. These companies want to be the best in their industry, among their peers. They, they, they want to compete to be more just. And this is one of the things we've learned over the last few years is there's a tremendous competitive advantage in being a leader on how you treat your workers and how you treat your customers and the communities right. where you operate. Yeah. So the, the, the model that we've developed through our polling creates a framework for measuring company success today. That's really what's happened. So 
one of the things we do is the rankings. We track companies on how are they doing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. How are they doing on COVID-19 response, for example? We did that last year. Um, so tracking, ranking, crucial. We also supply the data and the rankings to the investment community. So we've launched with partners, I don't know, seven or eight separate investment products. We have over $300 million in just funds that you can buy. If you want to invest your savings or your you know retirement savings in a just investment product, you can do that. So building out a whole sort of just money department, um, getting capital to flow, you know, to just companies is a tremendous incentive as well. So you're encouraging the market forces that are incentivizing business to do more good, I guess. You got it. Exactly. And there's a tremendous business case. So we can talk about this if you want, but we do a lot of research to show what does that mean in terms of returns? How did how did the companies that do well in the rankings and do well on all the things we measure, how do they do in the market? And, you know, I'll, I'll give you the punchline, which is they do better. Right. So right. companies that are. Are, that are investing in their, their stakeholders, investing in their workforce, uh, you know, and, 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 and sort of doing well on, on, on these sort of stakeholder criteria, they do better in the market. And we talk about why that is. So there's a whole investor side of our business, um, which is important. We're also very strong with our media presence. And we feel like the narrative of companies um, can be better uh, sort of used to create a race to the top. So we tell stories of leadership. We want to showcase CEOs and business leaders who are, you know, really, uh, you know, doing well on 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 these issues. And so that requires a strong media presence. So we've invested very very heavily in that. Um, we do more policy work now uh, to try and understand how the stakeholder model can be in, encouraged through uh through policies and uh, we work with other, other nonprofits you know we, we we take our data and we work with nonprofits to accelerate their work so the platform we've created through this data and research intensive model is now helping us drive change at scale and that's that's what we've seen over the last 7 years no it, it, it's it's a really powerful expression of stakeholder capitalism itself in that you're reaching out to consumers to, or citizens to see what they think. You're enabling the investor class to play a more responsible role. You're holding, you know, CEOs and leaders more accountable and measuring them on diversity and inclusion. Like, you know, one of the things that I'm deeply passionate about is that stakeholder capitalism isn't just that everyone shares in the rewards, it's everyone shares in the responsibilities as well. Everybody has to play a role. One question I want to ask you about what you shared is you're doing something really important at a time when you know, over the last few years, the country's never been more divided. And yeah. that's compounded by social media. So when you poll what the American public means, that's such a loaded term in a way. Like, how do you depoliticize the issue? Or what, you know, how do you make sure that you're capturing the sentiment of the country? And also, I was wondering, does that change over time? Do you see a lot of shifts? And so you've got to sort of course correct on the way. Yeah, yeah. So that is uh, a great question. We go to great lengths to make sure that our polling is not framed in a political way. Um, literally every year we start out with focus groups and a blank sheet of paper. What does a just business mean to you? And we know uh, because of the way we conduct the research 
um, you know, we ask people to identify their political ideologies. So we're able to cut the data. And by the way, we're polling tens of thousands of people. Over the last six years we've been polling, we've polled well over 120,000 people. And we go, like I say, we, we make sure we're capturing a fully representative Representative voice. set, yep. And, yep. and so, you know, I could tell you that, in fact, when it comes to how people think about business and what they want from business, there isn't that much of a divide. We see some division in some things, but for the most part, I don't care whether you're a, a, a line worker from Michigan, a Silicon Valley data programmer, like it doesn't matter. Like people want fair pay. They want to be treated uh, with dignity and respect in the workplace. They want a sense of upward economic mobility. Uh, people recognize training, good jobs, you know, a, the strength in, in a diverse uh, and inclusive work, uh, workplace, strong, healthy communities, you know, um, clean environment, clean up your mess, cl you know, addressing climate risk. You know, these things are kind of universally uh, desirable when we think about what, what people want. And we've seen that relatively consistently over the years. The number one stakeholder each and every year has been the worker. So essentially the defining relationship is between a company and its workforce. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? Because so many workers have seen either wage, you know, wages stagnant, um, and, and really are struggle to get by or, 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 you know, still rely on government support, even though you're working for a big company. So, so we, that, that is a defining relationship. So we've done some of our best work and some of our best analysis on the relationship between a company and how it treats its workers. But, th but that's not all about that. You know, right. we see important subjects rise like data privacy for customers, um, health of communities, you know, through the opioid crisis, we saw a lot of emphasis on how companies were really addressing literally the health of the communities. And of course, last year with COVID, health and sort of the, the what companies could do to promote and, and safeguard employee health became a defining issue. Um, and then over the latter part of last year, it was all about racial equity. You know, after George Floyd, we saw companies really held to account for what they were doing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we've seen issues rise and fall, but I would say the core of the model hasn't changed that much. And it is, I would say, representative. You know, typically you get 75 to 80% of people behind, for example, the number one issue being pay your people a livable wage. You mentioned you have a research team and some of these these areas are pretty complex and evolving themselves like ESG, like environmental, social and governance, you know, performances and metrics inside large companies. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing back to the ranking, like if we're going to hold business accountable through the ranking, what criteria, how do you go about working out the criteria for DNI, for sustainability, for COVID performance? How do you do that? Well, it depends on the issue because at the end of the day, you know, you want to measure the right things. You don't want to measure what you can. Unfortunately, there's a lot of data out there on ESG. You mentioned sort of the evolution of that. You know, I know that space well. That's where I grew up, you know, from the late 1990s onwards. 
and the ESG space has evolved a huge amount since then. Yeah. Uh, a lot more disclosure, a lot more data on company performance. How much of that is really meaningful to performance? How much is it to financial performance? How much is it really meaningful to actually driving change? You know, real change that improves people's lives? Um, you know, less and less, right? So, so the key here is to measure what matters. And that takes work. So we spend a lot of time with partners, with outside consultants, with experts, with, you know, subject matter experts to really figure out, okay, how do we measure this? When people say pay a fair and livable, livable wage, how do you measure that? Where do you get the data? How do you uh, approach the companies with that? So, so that, is, that is a challenge. Um, I would say the demand for meaningful data and analysis is accelerating rapidly, right. um, primarily from investors. You know, ESG is the fastest growing part of the global financial services industry. You see trillions of dollars flowing in that direction. And, uh, you know, I don't see that reversing um, or softening now. So especially with the performance numbers that the best ESG funds put up last year, uh, way outperformed their non-ESG counterparts. So so I think the demand for meaningful data, and, th and then what's gonna happen now is we're gonna ha have, you know, the SEC and other financial services regulators start to require companies to disclose information on Absolutely. human capital issues, on climate-related uh, issues, and, 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 and more. So, so I think the, pr the press for more data is on. The key, Simon, is going to be how do you get meaningful data where you and I and you know, ordinary people can rely on that, trust where it's coming from, and, and then use that to make decisions. And that's the gap that Just is filling right now, right? You've got, to trust, you've got to trust that we're doing as good a job as we can as an independent, non-aligned, non-profit, that the data we're putting out there, the rankings are telling the truth or as close to the truth as it's possible to get. I want to ask you, you know, you have this unique line of sight across all the industries, all the top companies, because, and, th and that's important because all of us that are in the, <clears throat> the swim of daily life, we see all the various issues coming up, climate, BLM, um, you know, the pandemic, and then you've got all the different companies and all the different industries. You know, how are we doing? Because I think about it and you go, well, you know, you've got Larry Fink at BlackRock, yet they've still got oil and gas in their put some of their portfolios. You've got, you know, um, the business roundtable CEOs making a commitment to the social purpose of an of a company, not just as sort of fiduciary duty to its shareholders, but then a couple of years on, there are reports that come out saying business roundtable folks can do better and the CEOs of B, Corp B Corps take them on. You know, what are we to think? Are we getting there? Is the vast majority of business absolutely laggards? They're way behind. They're not embracing this. And even those at the front are still conflicted and not really getting there. Or from your line of sight, do you see that actually, you know, the leverage, the momentum, the market forces are building and we're starting to get there? Oh, I'm, uh, I, I really see based on everything that, you know, conversations, the research, the data, I, I feel as though there's a systemic, change, a systemic shift happening. I think businesses are getting much more cognizant of the, urgency um, of, of protecting 
um, sort of capitalism in a way that creates value for more stakeholders. You know, I, I think that sentiment is real. I think it's interpreted differently. Um, I still don't think we all agree on what we mean when we say stakeholder capitalism, you know. Um, but no, I'm, I'm more optimistic. I, I really am. I, I feel as though, uh, you know, capitalism, if you, if you look back over the centuries, has always evolved to reflect the values of the society that it serves. Sure. And that it doesn't happen, you know, immediately. It doesn't happen overnight. But when I look back at, at you know, 20, 25 years of trying to measure companies on this stuff, you know, in the early days, you know, I remember reaching out to oil and gas companies to, to ask them for their sustainability reports. And you get these glossy magazines that look more like National Geographic shoots. Than Absolutely. They like, threw a lot of money at it. Yeah. 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 Great pictures of like polar bears and, you know, happy people. And, you know, no numbers, no numbers in there <laughs> at all. Right. Now I feel the access to data an awareness of why that matters. What are the business advantages of change, of investing in stakeholders, including the planet? You know, look at what happened two weeks ago with Engine Number One and Exxon Mobil. Absolutely. Right? That was a stakeholder capitalism campaign, but they didn't mention the word stakeholder. It's got nothing to do with that. It's an activist investor that came along and eventually took a board seat, correct? Three board seats. Three, Three board, board seats. seats. Yeah. It's basically a board takeover. And yeah. They were motivated. This was all about equipping ExxonMobil to be a better position for the transition to a low carbon economy. That, that's what it was about. And from the point of view of the shareholder, in other words, this is all about shareholder value creation. Now, you can argue the toss of whether or not they did it the right way, whether you agree with that or not. But the point is this. This was not about them being nice guys or somehow being like progressives. Socialists. Yeah, waking up and suddenly having a conscience. Yeah. No, this is about business. And and yeah. I feel like that is going to happen more and more now. You know, you see yeah. almost all of the world's, world's pension and sovereign wealth funds, you know, stack up on ESG and purpose-related sort of policies and activities. There's going to be um, staunch defenders of, the sh of shareholder primacy. A lot of that, I think, is... Uh, either misunderstands the stakeholder model, i.e. they think it's somehow a zero-sum game. So either I invest in my workers or I return capital to shareholders. I can't, I can't do both. You show me a CEO that believes that that's, those two things are antithetical. You show me like the business leader, anybody worth the, who's really worth their salt, who thinks the best path to creating value for shareholders the best path to building a successful business is to not invest in my workers, screw the communities where I operate, you know, don't think about my customers that much. Like P pollute the environment, pollute the environment, supply like, chain. Come on, yeah. that's not yeah. that is not the re that is not reality. And so, I think as an idea for how markets should work, it's a better idea, and we're, that's what I meant by the evolution. I think. You know, younger generation of workers, younger generation of investors, um, anybody trying to sort of get by in America now, um, you know, 
believes that I don't have to check my values at the door at 8.30 or 9 a.m. to do some good in the world, to make, make money right. and, you know, have a good job and feel like I can prepare, I, I, I can, I can um, you know, look after my family, um, put food on the table and so on. So I feel as though um, that is a powerful idea. I don't believe yet that it has... Um, taken root in political circles yet. I think business leadership recognizes that, um, but I don't believe it's sort of taken root um, as an ideology yet. Absolutely. I, I, I tend to believe that, and you know, I'm not qualified to speak to the political landscape, but the inertia there is such that there's even more expectation on business now because it seems more agile, more innovative, better positioned to do it, would you say? I would say it's one of the two extremes. It's like a, I see a barbell. I see either this is all woke capitalism dressed up, you know, this is sort of like companies just like like advancing uh, progressive politics. Uh, and it's not, not about serious business and certainly not in the best interest of shareholders, right? So that's one narrative. Then the other end of the spectrum is anti-corporate, you know, just pay your fair share of taxes, pay, pay more taxes in some cases, and government will take care of solving social problems. And I don't think that's, that's right either, because I think big, big companies, business in general, but big companies can and must be part of solving big societal problems. And I think that will create a lot of value for them and their, their shareholders. So I don't, but I, that's, a, that's the barbell that I see, but I, business leaders are, are, are I, I think, get this, and smart investors increasingly get this that wait a second this idea that that you know we're we're, we're all about profits or we're all about short-term shareholder privacy primacy and we're not thinking about the long term and we're not thinking about what really drives value and and who should participate in that value creation and who should who should be rewarded for that value creation like those are big questions yeah. And we haven't really figured that out as a as a society yet. And that's that's what I mean when I say I don't think we're quite there yet. There's a tension I see between a reason to be optimistic, which is for the first time ever, we have the requisite stakeholders all at the table at once. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a time where you have suppliers, employees, leaders, customers, consumers, but also investors at the table looking for change. Because only when you have that full coalition can you actually unlock the market forces that will drive that change. So that, that's in the plus column. In the minus column, out there in the future, five and certainly 10 years down the track, these challenges we're solving for, whether it's loss of biodiversity or climate emergency and so on, they're all compounding and getting worse and hurtling back towards us in the present. And the timelines we're working against are shrinking day by day because we're not changing fast enough. So on one hand, in the plus column, the the stakeholders are at the table. In the minus column, I don't think we're quite aware of just how serious and how pressing these issues are. What do you see? Do you see that are we meeting the moment yet or not? Um, I agree with your framing. I I, I think, yes. Um, I wrote about this recently. This this alignment, uh, the planetary alignment, you know, consumers want more, you know, workers want more, uh, business leaders understand the stakeholder model behind it, investors certainly 
you know, already there. Um, politicians getting there, let's say. So you do have this confluence, this alignment, which is which is which is a grounds for optimism. But all the things you mentioned, you could think of those as sort of externalities that you know we we've got to recognize and figure out um, how we stop kicking the can down the road. You know, climate is basically a big global economic externality, an unfunded liability that's going to come back and get us if we don't invest in in right, a solution. Right. But you could say the same yep. thing about a lot of social issues too. You know, how is it that millions of Americans work at big publicly traded corporations and still rely on food stamps to feed their family? How is that possible? How is how we created a marketplace where that is possible? That is just bad economics. So so I look at that as a that's a big externality. They 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 should be paying for that. We're subsidizing companies and their shareholders, society, taxpayers doing that. So so those things result in you know bad things down the line, division, you know, civil strife. My boss, our chair, Paul Jones, gave a TED talk in 2015. He talked about growing levels of inequality. And those things don't end well. You know, war, you know, civil strife. And so I would say you, you, a lot of the division we see and a lot of the people that prey on that division, um, you know, that, that, is, uh, that, is, that, that is sort of also part of a path to, you know, a, a, bad, a bad place. And so when I think about what people, you know, take it out of politics and just say, what do you want from life? What do you want in terms of your purpose? And most people, when they see the private sector and they see their jobs, and most people are employed in the private sector, small businesses and large companies, right? Um, most people just want to look after their families, themselves. They want to have prosperity, they want to see a path to that. Um, and so I think we have a lot more in common in that, in that sense, which is why the polling is really interesting. I think it exposes a lot of those commonalities. So I, I, I think if this is one of the reasons why it comes back to our thesis, to fend off those things that you describe as being on the negative column, you know, we have to realize that there is a solution. There is a pathway. And... We can get there if we get more and more of our, you know, of our of our economic system working for more and more people to solve those problems, not out of being good people, but out of enlightened self-interest. Enlightened self-interest. Absolutely. And, you know, there is one scenario, which is that we all lean into this on the basis of enlightened self-interest. There is another alternative, though, that you see reported on quite frequently, which is those who either fall out of love with capitalism. As I know that in some of your research, that's one of the things that struck me that 50% of young people don't believe in capitalism as, you know, as young people did in the past. And you're also seeing things like trends in China now. I was reading yesterday, there's this notion of what is a loose translation called lying down, which is young people, it's their vernacular for how they are opting out of the rat race. They're not going to buy a house. They're not going to get married. They're not going to have kids. They're not going to buy stuff. And they're literally kind of unplugging from the system because they believe the system is so broke broken so what do you because a lot of us project so much expectation and optimism on young people that are values-led 
What do you what do you see their role being in the future? Young people specifically? Younger people. I mean, are we really are we right to lean into the role that they're going to play? I, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, so much depends on um, having some faith in the system that, uh, you know, will, will, will provide the future that you want. So if you, if you don't believe that the system is working for you, you know, if you think it's rigged, if, 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 if that's the narrative that you buy into, then it's very difficult to, uh, to really support that, right? What, 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 and this is, this is sort of like when you see polling around lack of faith in capitalism, you know, I think that's a narrative that somehow this is working for fewer and fewer people who right. are already rich anyway. Yep. And, and it's certainly not working for me. It's not working for the vast majority of people who, you know, feel shut out, discriminated against, Somehow, you know, the, 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 the playing field is tilted, rigged. Right. So, so you, have to, you have to start to address some of those root causes, right? You have to begin to say, okay, well, how can we build a market that actually addresses some of those problems that it faces? Because it does only work for a few people. It doesn't, or, or you know, it is not working for everybody, you know? Um, so how do we create a, a, a system where people have more faith in that, they do believe that actually there is a way that I can have a sense of purpose, that I can feel like I'm doing some good, you know, in, in the world. I can make a mark. I can, I can pursue social, economic, environmental health uh, impact and make a contribution. And I, I, think, and I think, you know, when I was young, that idea was sort of weird. You know, you've sure. kind of felt like okay, then you got to go, you know, you got to go work in the nonprofit space or you got to go to, you know, join the Peace Corps or something like like. And then you come back and you do serious business. But, you know, think about that and stuff and make money. Yeah, you make money. Right. And now I just yeah. think that is that is a fallacy. Yeah, I think there are many pathways where people can feel as though they can express their desire to do some good in the world. They can express the social purpose in whatever way they feel it um, and build a career doing that. Uh, I, I also feel as though, you know, that the, the, the um, sort of the system itself is going to become much more democratic. You know, I, I, you know, share ownership is a good example of that. You know, the vote we just talked about at, at Exxon was really an expression of democratic, of democratic right as individual shareholders. So I feel democratic expression doesn't have to just come through the polit a political vote. The political it system, comes in sure. the stuff we buy, every dollar we spend, how we how we invest our our money, um, all of those things. There's lots of ways to express your your sort of you know your your will and your values in the world. So so I think a lot of that mashup gets better over time, um, but at the root of that is sort of like information and how we know what what we what's what's truth what can we rely on um how do we create you know better outcomes what do we do how does businesses change to create better outcomes for you know black americans what 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 actually should a company do you know we we find a lot of ceos a lot of businesses don't know what to do let's talk about that if, for those who are entrepreneurs ceos founders running large enterprises listening 
you know, there are some key issues that you've done research and polling around, like racial justice and hourly and gig workers and, and caregiving. Like if there were some fundamentals that anyone listening to this should know that they need to get right to really kind of play into this larger positive movement that you're building, what are some two or three issues that they should really focus on first? Well, the framework is key. So the the winning companies, let's call it that, like the, the formula that that um, sort of lands well is, okay, who are my stakeholders? Yep. What does value creation for those stakeholders really mean? Um, and to answer that, you got to go ask them. Right. It's funny, funny what happens when you actually ask people what they care about. They go, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> so asking people, not assuming, uh, not projecting, but asking them what do they want, and then measuring it, gathering data on, okay, are we creating value for these stakeholders? Are we? How do we know we're doing a good job? How do we know we're doing rel- how we're doing relative to our competitors? How do we see that? Okay, in, this is where we need to invest. You know, if you've got a dashboard of your business and you can see, okay, we're doing pretty well over here on customer satisfaction and pretty well over here on how we invest in the communities where we're operating or our supply chains but we're not doing well here on our workers. And in particular, we're not doing well for black and brown workers or, you know, workers of color or women in the workforce. So, so now you know, now you can say, okay, that's where we have to invest. We've got to invest in pay equity analysis. We've got to invest in, you know, uh, building a more equitable and inclusive workforce. We've got to invest in senior management, and our board and you know all those things that create pathways uh for women and minorities in in business so if that's the area where you're not doing a great job you know that's where you invest like any good business so so i think that having that framework is really key really getting information listening to your stakeholders and then gathering data so you can make intelligent decisions based on what you can measure what matters, and then linking that to performance. Fantastic, and I, I want to say thank you, Martin, um, for you know your guidance and uh, you know over the years, but also for positioning Just Capital as someone with the requ- you know the necessary credibility in terms of research and accountability and the metrics of change, so that companies can trust you and can look to Just Capital, and you can be a carrot and a stick for them. Because we need somebody to inspire, but also lovingly coerce business to move in the right direction. So um, just really appreciate the work that's being done and and look forward to hearing more and sharing more of what Just Capital is doing. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about Just. Uh, It's been great getting to know you. Really appreciate Mm -hmm. it and uh, happy to come back anytime and, and tell you where we're at. But thanks once again. It's a pleasure. It's all mine. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We. Our show is produced by Goal17 Media, and you can always find out more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. And you can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead With We, is now available for pre-order on Amazon, 
Barnes & Noble and Google Books. So check it out. See you on the next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.